Um, well, good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast for this fortnight. Um, as you know, Andrew Crow is my name. Hope everyone's doing well out in the uh, the drone industry and the RPAS industry. Um, today, really excited to have uh, an international guest. Uh, we don't get a lot of international guests on the podcast, so it's great when we can make the time zone work and and uh, and have a chat to some of our American and uh, other friends. Um, this morning or today, we've got Ryan Walsh from Valkyrie. Ryan, how are you? Doing well, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me. Mate, really pleased we could uh, we could get you on. Um, whereabouts are you? Where are you? Where are you dialing in from? I'm just outside of Chicago. And it's uh, and we should let everyone know it's Sunday night there uh, in in just outside Chicago. So thanks uh, thanks a lot, mate, for making the time to uh, to have a chat tonight. Absolutely, always can make time for you guys. Hey Brian, um, I was having a bit of a, a Facebook, or a bit of a LinkedIn um, stalk, and, and just sort of seeing where your background is and where you come from. You've got a really interesting kind of background, a kind of exciting background. Um, would you mind giving our sort of podcast listeners a bit of a, a bit of an intro as to you and, and where you where you sort of come from? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, started my career uh, in the military, serving in the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, doing a lot of special operations work uh, in both Afghanistan and Iraq. And after several tours overseas, I uh, realized that a lot of things in the war came down to economics. And so I, I left the military and uh, started studying economics for my undergrad. And I really wanted to understand because it was both an implying factor in a lot of the efforts of the war, but also right in the middle of the housing crisis and the mm. economic crash of 2008. So it just seemed like the uh, perfect storm of trying to understand why and how the world works the way it does. And so I started studying economics and went and uh, got my MBA while starting some of my first small businesses. Um, started several small businesses through my 20s, all of which are, are still running and successful today, knock on wood. Um, but it uh, led my co-founder, Alex, and myself to start looking at new opportunities. We were just very entrepreneurial in, in nature and um, really wanted to get past small business and, and impact the global stage. And because of all of the developments I saw, particularly in drones while I was in the military, I saw the writing on the wall and that drones were definitely going to impact mainstream society in just a matter of time. And so that's where we, we kind of started with Valkyrie in uh, 2013, so almost 10 years ago. So from a, from a Ranger Regiment through to, uh, to drones, it's a bit of a career shift. Definitely a career shift and a lot of <laughs> uh, little segues in between. That's really cool. Um, I was over in, in Afghan probably around similar times between sort of 2007 and 2010, um, sort of flying drones and embedded with um, with some US um, US units as well. So we, we might have even crossed, crossed paths a little bit over there at some point. Very well could have been. So let's talk, let's talk Valkyrie though. So, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about this on this podcast about um, solving problems. So, you know, solutions are great and, and technology is awesome, but what's the problem that, that you know, the solutions are trying to solve? Um, why was Valkyrie established? What is, it, what is that problem you're trying to solve? So at the time, right, back in 2013, we were looking at drones and realizing that there was 
going to be a big shift, but the drone market itself was going to be a bloodbath. Um, <laughs> drones have been around for a long time. Um, and so there would be a lot of money spent fighting over incremental changes. And drones are really great from getting something from point A to point B. Um, you know, they serve that purpose very well, very efficiently. But what we realized was the customer wasn't taken into consideration in any of it. Right. When you look at particularly the last mile, 53% of the cost of shipping something from China to the US, 53% of that cost comes in the final couple miles from the fulfillment center to your house. And it's mostly driven around package theft, package damage, uh, multiple delivery attempts, and, and failed delivery attempts. And so we started thinking how does this happen for a customer on an everyday basis? How do you make sure that this is smooth and easy and functional for them without adding or educating or having to um, you know, change their habits, right? Because that's always the hardest thing is changing a customer habit. Um, and so we started looking at whether it was mailboxes, locker systems, window units, what is the infrastructure required so you don't have to have a person interacting with effectively a flying eight spinning bladed robot, right? That, that's just a huge liability. And, and you know, people don't want to be waiting for their package to be dropped off in their yard, right? So how do we secure them? provide that chain of custody, provide that safety, and more importantly, provide that set off so the drone and the customer are, are not exactly in that same spot at the same time. Um, and so we started focusing on, on Valkyrie's product line, which is the infrastructure and mailboxes and locker systems that um, you know, facilitate that. And you've, uh, you've got some pretty cool sort of technology as well that, that allows this to... Um, to, to work and operate, um, and particularly your the drone uh, drone delivery station that you guys have. Can you tell us more more about that and, and how it actually works? Yeah, so it's uh, if you can, uh, well, you probably can't see it over my shoulder, but. Um, it's a six locker system um, and every station works for both sending and receiving. Um, they're seven and a half feet tall. Um, I don't know what that comes out to in meters off the top <laughs> of um, But it's high enough to where you won't have curious people, kids, whatever, um, you know, being able to reach the drone while it's dropping a package off. We want to stay above the human canopy. And so, uh, somebody can interact, whether through one of our touch screens, uh, our, our apps that we're working with various partners so they can front face it, a number of different ways. So you can create an order and it, it allows you to place a package in any one of the Valkyrie landing stations. And then it does all of the uh, communication with the drone, with the drone operator, all of the people involved in the, the entire process. And automates it, right? So the drone, the landing station, all of that are communicating uh, on their own, um, you know, letting the drone know that it's here, loading the package up, letting the drone know when the package is loaded, flying off to the receiving station and dropping the package off after verification and authentication of the drone. And then uh, everybody's notified. So then the receiving customer would be able to go and either punch in a code or wave their phone and the package is waiting for them. And it pro provides a complete chain of custody. So you never have to worry about the wrong person getting the item, especially when you're dealing with, you know, controlled substances, medications, things like that. Um, that becomes very, very important. And so for, for our listeners, um, it, it does look like a, it's, it's just looks like a large mailbox. It's, um, you know, 
bit taller than I am and, and sort of um, a square and a rectangle. So, so I'm assuming from a technology perspective, the drone will come in and pick it up from, from the top, does it? But we, we can place our packages in from the front. How does it go from, from the where you place the package in into the drone? So there's an elevator system um, yep. that lowers and raises the package from its respective locker um, and then brings it up to the drone or down into the, the landing station and, and does the sorting. Um, and so a big piece of what we came up with was um, it's a patent pending proprietary system of centering the whole system, right? So whether that's a winched package to the top of the landing station or a landed drone, um, we have two sets of centering bars that uh, center it over the elevator every single time. Um, and so that becomes very important when you're loading packages because you don't wanna have uh, you know, the package attached askew or off orientation and changing the flight characteristics of the drone. And so we spent a lot of time, um, my engineering team, my CTO, myself, um, getting to the bottom of what it was going to take to be universal, not only for drones, but winch packages in every conceivable way of, of sending a package by aerial vehicle. Um, and so the centering mechanism ends up being a, a critical aspect of how we're able to work with so many different airframes and be universal. You don't want to have one landing station for every type of drone that's out there delivering to your area. So um, that was a big, important requirement for us. So you're, I guess you're envisaging in the long run um, a network of drones, you know, potentially operated by by different parties. Is that is that what you're thinking, and that's why you've built that that into the system? Precisely. So you know, the the pharmacy may be using one operator and delivering to you, and they may do landed drones, and you know, your local restaurant may be delivering, and that system uses a winch capability. And there's all kinds of different ways we're seeing drones interact and drop packages. So whether it's a hover drop winch landed, we work with all of them um, because just to your point, you wanna have something that works with a multiple of different operators. Um, otherwise you end up with this singular closed network solution and, and you end up with a box for every deliverer. Um, we're already seeing that's not gonna be the case in the drone market, much like road vehicles. You know, you have everything from motorcycles to semi-trucks and they're purpose-built and drones even more so. Drones tend to be very purpose-built in the delivery market. And so we wanted to make sure that we had a solution that was able to be used and encompassed by all of them. Yeah, cool. And I think, um, you know, to lean itself towards that efficiency piece is, is quite important. But as you sort of said, the last thing we want is five or six different you know, um, landing stations for five or six, six different types of drones. Um, that's not going to help, you know, society at all. Um, where do you think this will go from a, from a client perspective? So do you see this being, you know, not only getting your Amazon Prime delivered, but also potentially, um, you know, other areas as well? Where, what sort of clients and customers do you think will be using this type of technology? I think it's going to grow over time and we're going to see new verticals adopt this technology over the coming years. Um, but we've identified everything from last uh, mile e-commerce to, um, you know, something that would be similar to your DoorDashes and Grubhubs and Uber Eats, um, pharmaceutical deliveries. Uh, there's really no end. It's, it's the same type of last mile deliveries you'd get at any home or office, right? So we see this as just the next evolution in last mile delivery. And, and one thing I want to be clear on is we don't see drones replacing trucks in mm. every country. I'm sure, you know, it's very similar in Australia. We already have a, a very overburdened last mile network, right? People can barely keep up with what's already being delivered. And so 
drones end up making sense when you're delivering food or medication or some of these items where you know you're doing a point-to-point delivery and you don't need an entire vehicle a driver all of these items that go into the cost of that um you know so how do we use the best use cases to get those packages to customers as efficiently cost effectively and conveniently as possible so we see drones as another layer to last mile not necessarily a replacement to anything in last mile and so because of that we're going to see a lot of different uh, uh verticals and customer bases adopt yeah. this and what sort of payload weight are you thinking you know have you got a payload weight in mind at the moment that, that you can use and, and is that going to increase So for us in particular, uh, a vast majority of our partners and the people using our landing stations um, are in that five to 10 kilo range. Um, We have been all the way up to 25 kilos, which hasn't been a problem for our landing stations. Um, You know, you start looking at larger applications like, um, you know, mid-mile deliveries and large cargo deliveries, and our technology scales up very easily. Um, You know, you just build the hardware to fit the payload size that you're looking for. But all of that back-end communication and automation between the drone and the landing station is really where, uh, A, the hard part is, but B, the part that scales well. So it doesn't matter if we have to build one that is the size of an entire roof because drones end up getting so big that they're carrying several tons worth of Mm. cargo. Um, The the beauty is really in the elegance of that, that software and automation. Yeah, and I was, I was just thinking the same, you know, we, so we're, just, we're seeing a bit of drone delivery um, down here. We're, we've got Google Wing doing some stuff. Um, Swoop Aero is, is floating around, but it's really that kind of sub two kilo market. And, and the market you're talking about is, is much bigger and, and I think provides a much greater application. Um, sure, you know, we can still get copies delivered, but the ability to get 10 or 15 kilos worth of stuff delivered is now, you know, that, that's your weekly shop or, or something as well. Um, is, that where, is that where you're sort of seeing it? Yeah, it's really, it's an evolution, right? I mean, in 2015 to 2018, drones were mostly being used for building inspection, roof inspections, right? Those types of applications. And then it slowly started shifting into new areas. But I think both COVID and the war in Ukraine showing how disruptive some of these small drones can be both for, you know, last mile deliveries in many countries, um, but even what's been able to be done by the Ukrainian forces using off the shelf drones, it's really shown their adaptability and and how they can change so much of the the paradigm that people are used to. Um, And so I don't think that is going to stop. I've never seen one instance in all of my studying of technology where it just stopped on a dime and went backwards. <laughs> you know, it's going to keep moving. Um, you know, you look at the first cell phones and, and they were these giant suitcases, right? You had to have your little phone on the, the you know, string or the wire to the suitcase. And now we have effectively computers that are, are more powerful than the Apollo rockets in our pocket, right? I mean, it's unbelievable how much the technology ends up moving when, when the commercial uh, uh, momentum gets behind it. And so we see more and more of the market opening up in the next two to three years, really, um, where you do start seeing larger deliveries, larger payloads, and, and larger um, just overall networks. As you said, nothing stops us in the future, you know, lifting a shipping container or something. Really, we we can be moving 20 or 40 foot shipping containers. I have seen designs for that and Mm. can't say much more about it, but it's definitely uh, 
definitely something I've seen people working on. Mm. And, and I'm sure, though, um, you know, and it's all fun and games and, and we get to play around with some great technology, but I'm sure there's been some, some barriers along the way and some difficulties. What type of barriers have you come across and, and how have you sort of got through them? You know, I would say the biggest barrier is the regulatory. Um, yeah, funny that. Necessarily, <laughs> right? I mean, you don't want to have drones falling out of the sky. It was very important to make sure that the safety concerns were taken into account. And, you know, we don't have very many passenger air crashes these days, at least, mm. you know, from, from technology point of view, it's always intentional these days, right? And that's really due to all of the various uh, air traffic controls across the world doing their job and making sure that, that you don't have the types of issues that led to a lot of the crashes in earlier generations. Um, and that's, what's taking a, a little bit longer than people were anticipating. I think it's very necessary though, because as you saw with self-driving cars, if somebody gets hit, it could set the entire industry back because of mm -hmm. one bad actor. And so having these safety precautions in place is really better for the long term. Um, so regulatory is definitely one of the bigger barriers. Uh, I thought we were going to have a higher issue with public acceptance. But through all of our various pilots and trials and, and use cases with different partners, we've seen people overwhelmingly support it. They love mm. how quickly they can get it. They love the technology. They love being there, seeing something new and, and radical happening. And so it really is, is a lot lower of a concern than we initially anticipated. And, and are you, um, and I completely agree, you know, the regulatory side is, is the difficult side and we see, we see that in Australia and we kind of appreciate the reasons why um, why that needs to be so. You're obviously well focused on um, the US market at this point. Um, where do you think, where's next for, for you guys or where, where, are, where are you working besides the States? So we tend to do a lot of our own uh, stuff in the States strictly because it's, you know, we're an earlier stage company and, and costs mm. are definitely something we keep an eye on. Um, so sending teams to different locations can be very expensive, but we have units all the way out in the South Pacific, uh, all the way to Europe. Um, so working with our partner network has allowed us a much wider reach. Um, we focused our initial patent filings on everywhere from Australia and China to North America and Canada and the US and across Europe and in South Africa. And so we really see this as a global technology. Um, but like any early stage company, you have to focus, you know, where your dollars are best spent. And so we tend to do a lot of our testing locally, um, perfecting uh, new versions and different pieces before we export them around the world. Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense, uh, particularly the size of the US market is, is so massive. Um, what about different applications? Is there, is there plans for, um, you know, you talked about size, but is there, is there sort of any other scale plans or, or new sort of technologies you're looking at as well? Yeah, um, we're going to be announcing quite a bit in the coming future, so I can't necessarily go too into detail on what our short-term plans are, but we've done everything from um, hospitality to uh, maritime. Um, we're seeing a lot more in the industrial space, and we're slowly seeing a shift towards uh, a lot of food delivery, e-commerce delivery. It's it's all starting to come together on the timelines we anticipated. So uh, as each of these verticals start seeing more and more benefit and mix that with rising labor costs and, and it's harder to find labor and, um, you know, it just becomes this perfect storm of 
industries you never would have expected to adopt this are coming in and being some of the first adopters. And so that was probably one of the most surprising things, but the number of applications is absolutely astounding. You know, when you start looking at, uh, you know, mining, for instance, Rio Mm. Tinto, you know, you have these big mining sites and you may have teams that are spread across various parts of your, your project. And how do you get a tool to them if they break a drill bit? Or how do you get um, you know, emergency medical supplies to them if somebody gets hurt? And so what we end up finding is you know, some of the best use cases are in the spots you would not necessarily think to look in. And where, um, where are things going in the next five years, do you think? Is it, is it just about greater adoption? I think it's going to end up being very similar to cars, right? In Mm -hmm. Valkyrie's case, right? You know, we provide that end infrastructure. And so, you know, the first garages were detached and then they slowly became attached. And now you don't see any single family homes without some form of carport or or garage. And so, um, you know, even, even large buildings have entire floors dedicated to parking. And so, we're going to see that kind of adoption where it's going to slowly creep into all of the architecture and all of the use cases, um, the more and more that people see the benefits from this. So I think it's going to be one of those ubiquitous pieces that, you know, in the future we look back on and go, oh, remember before we had, you know, garages or, or any of the modern amenities we see, air conditioning or, you know, refrigeration. I mean, it, it's very much going to be a staple of the modern home and office, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And, and where, um, you know, you, you've, done the, you've done the economics of all this, I'm sure. Um, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see the economics around, you know, delivering a, a $5 cup of coffee, but I do see the economics around delivering, you know, 10 kilos or five kilos worth of stuff. Um, how is that working at the moment? Are you finding that this is going to be a cheaper way to move goods, you know, in the long run, or, or is it still going to be cost comparative depend, um, compared to what we're doing at the moment? So all of the studies and data that I've seen both myself and through other people's research is it's going to be astronomically cheaper. I mean, we're mm. talking in, in the margins of uh, 10 to 1. Um, wow. You know, it's mostly because if you think, right, you have, for instance, Uber Eats or or Grubhub or one of those types of companies out here, the restaurants end up having to dig into their margins and you're paying a pretty, pretty high fee to get that on top of that to your house. And it's because you have a person, you have an entire vehicle, you're paying for gas, you're paying for that person's car insurance in some, you know, pro rata way. And so being able to granularize it to where one meal is delivered by a drone designed to carry that much weight, it can charge entirely off of green energy. Um, And so you end up with these much better cost curves than you Mm. see in a lot of the traditional stuff. So it's, if anything, just a a better application of efficiency, um, and not necessarily uh, fitting the current model to meet the new demand for, for what customers expect. I mean, five, 10 years ago, people weren't expecting orders within an hour. People weren't demanding that you get one hour delivery. And so because customer expectations have grown and they've become more cost conscious at the same time, it ends up creating this this friction where you now need to be able to deliver specific goods more efficiently, particularly in the last mile. So um, I see this as being revolutionary once it's mainstream adopted from a cost perspective. 
Yeah, and, and certainly right, and particularly around rising fuel costs and um, you know everything else that's going on in the world. Um, the ability to deliver by air is is going to be um, more and more needed. Um, Ryan, I think this is, is a fantastic technology, and it's it's really cool, which is a great part of our industry. I, you know, there's so many people doing some cool stuff. Um, where can people go and find out some more information or get in contact with you? So you can find us at valkyrie.com, V-A-L-Q-A-R-I.com. Um, we do post quite a bit on our LinkedIn page. So you can search us up on LinkedIn, V-A-L-Q-A-R-I. Um, and we are going to start posting a lot more on our other social media. Um, but those are the two places I would say to get the most accurate, up-to-date information. Awesome. And last question, Valkyrie, where did the name come from? Norse Mythology. There we go. Perfect. Sounds good. It's a pretty cool name and, and, uh, and a pretty cool logo to go with it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Ryan, um, mate, I'll let you get back to your Sunday night um, having, having a good time. So thanks again for, for making the time to have a chat uh, this morning with us. Really appreciate it. And um, look, best of luck and, and reach out if there's anything that we can do from down under to help you guys along the way. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me, Andrew. This has been an honor.